0: Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Boss Podcast. I'm Kirk Bailey and this week we welcome back Rich Mernov with his 2018 Boss Talk, What to Do About Your Audiences Real Roadmap Questions. Welcome to the Business of Software Podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Your product roadmap is not a model, an algorithm, or an artefact. It is an ongoing political process that requires careful management of the relevant stakeholders. One major challenge is that your stakeholders do not want the same things. To make a roadmap useful, you need an allocation model and a selling strategy that helps you understand, manage the expectations of, and deliver value to the people across the organisation who prioritise very different things. In this talk, Rich explains some approaches to help you understand and manage a roadmap stakeholders so that your products and customers are prioritized over the requirements of other stakeholders. Happy listening.
1: Uh, let me set the stage a little bit for a story I'm going to tell and then we'll dive right into it. Um, I'm a 35-year veteran of Silicon Valley Enterprise Software which obviously means I'm not that smart. I should have done something better and, and easier. Uh, about a decade with, with big software companies, uh, I did six startups, of which four we file under good life learning and character building. <laughs> <laughs> and for the last uh, decade or so, I've been doing a combination of things around uh, enterprise software product management. I drop into San Francisco area software companies as the interim or temporary head of product management or chief product officer. Generally, that's when things aren't going so well. Uh, Has a lot of marriage counseling associated with it. And I spend much of my day, almost every day, with one foot in the engineering and product camp and one foot in the go to market marketing and sales camp. So I'm bilingual in some sense. the introverted folks on one side depend on me to say things to the extroverted folks on the other side that they're embarrassed to say themselves. Um, so, so I've had a chance to sample or, or drop into an awful lot of companies. And, and what, one of the things I notice is that the road mapping process is almost always broken. And it almost always uh, is described in a way that's very personal if those product managers would just fill in whatever sentence it is, if the salespeople would just behave, right? And, and it sounds in an individual instance that this particular company has an issue, but of course everywhere else it's going fine, right? And so, so I want to blow that up a little bit because what I see is something very systematic that's about crossed or, or misaligned goals and incentives and organizational structures that causes this at particularly enterprise companies uh, that I think is important that's not about personalities. So I want to take this apart a little bit and lead us through and figure out what we as company leaders are going to do about it so that we don't end up in exactly the same problem as we did before. Um, Also worth noting, uh, since Addie was good enough to stand up in the corner last night with a target on her chest. Um, That's the job I have every day, right? Trying to explain to folks on the sales and marketing side why they didn't get what they wanted, right? Um, So let me take this through. And uh, by the way, all the pictures are intended to be humorous. I wanna make fun of myself as much as everybody else as we're going through. So uh, I'll pose the, the sort of three sets of questions that I know occur in almost everybody's heads during the road mapping process or the the presentation. And then let's take them apart. So let's start of course with product managers, right? Do we know this product manager? Um, He's very analytical and he's done all the spreadsheets and uh, sweated all the numbers and he's presented this roadmap to a large group of folks. And here's the question usually in his head, right? Every time I do this, I get at best no reaction and mostly I get hostility. How is this possible that I worked really hard? All I want is for people to love me and love my roadmap and love my product that I put so much of my time into, yet here we are, right? Anybody been that product manager? Okay, let's turn it around and, and, and take it from the other side. So of course we need management here <laughs> in love, right? So, so there's almost always two questions that I hear from the executive team or the leadership team when faced with Reviewing a roadmap or anything else that comes out of product management. Usually they are phrased in these two ways, right? How come we're not getting more done? Let's just stop for a minute. Anybody who's a CEO in the room who's either thought or said that out loud in the last two or three weeks? Okay, (laughs) right? And then much more importantly, why are we not more innovative, right? (laughs) And and that's a sort of unbounded question, because it usually means we lost a deal to somebody who has a feature we haven't heard of, right? Um, And then there's a third group, right? Most important in the enterprise space is our sales team, right? Um, And they all want to know, what's the question that the sales team wants to know? Every single person in that audience, sorry? when actually when when is the second question the first question is how come the thing my street, right my strategic customer needed a thing and i beat on product management mercilessly for the last 90 or 180 days and yet here we are and it's not in the roadmap how is this possible this is a really important deal which by the way when we close i get to go to club in hawaii Right? No coincidence. So when I sit through or or I'm supervising a set of product managers or I'm in the executive team, this seems like the drumbeat set of messages. On the one side, we worked really hard, and we've squeezed everything we can squeeze out of it. And the other side, gosh, at best, we're unexcited. And usually there's another escalation coming, right? So, So how do we explain the fact that at almost every B2B and enterprise company I've seen, we're having this very same discussion. It can't just be because uh, there's somebody on your team who isn't performing, right? This, this fails to be an individual effort issue. So let's uh, dive in. Um, and I usually start with the good idea train, okay? Everybody know the good idea train? Um, if you're a product manager, every morning when you come in and open up email and Slack and the post-it notes people left on your monitor overnight and whatever else, right, it'll turn out that there are 60 or 80 or 145 really, really good ideas that people have shared with you overnight. right? and they're from customers, and they're from salespeople, and SEs, and their support team, and especially the execs. We'll come back to the execs in a sec, right? So everyone in the world really needs to share, desperately needs to share with the product management team. It's gonna figure out what we're gonna build this one special insight, which is really pretty wonderful, right? Except mostly they're not, right? And, and I'm always trying to coach my product managers in how to separate the appreciation for somebody who comes and shares their really wonderful idea with you from the commitment to do the thing, right? Um, they, are, they tend to be very specific to one instance or one customer. Your support person's just gotten off the phone, and that's top of mind, right? If we go back to um, you know thinking fast and slow, right? Um, We're all recency bias on this. Um, Executives, and yeah, let's hit the executive next. So uh, executives are over indexed on two groups of folks. Current customers who are really, really unhappy about something and went all the way up the escalation chain to give you, the CEO, a piece of their mind. Anybody gotten that call in the last two weeks, right? And the other is uh, medium to large sales deals that need only one little special thing. That's gonna be really easy um, to close the deal, right? Those are the things that work their way up to the CEO's office. And helpfully, CEOs, including myself when I was in that job, will then of course immediately walk down to the product management team and say something uh, that always includes some of these words, just and only. As in, can't we just, and I bet it'll only take, right? Um, because they're they're deeply focused on, Doing something about the fact that folks are are you know at issue, right? And then universally, everybody who has a request, a demand, a requirement, a feature that they'd like to do, um, universalizes it, right? So particularly, sales teams that only call on one really large customer will always use the word "everyone," as in all of the folks in our market need this thing. Now, partly it's because that's the only people they talk to. Partly it's again, it's our Our recency bias that says the last thing is is the one I remember. But as somebody who sat in the product management chair for an awful long time, I know that almost everybody who comes to me has a relatively poorly thought out single instance solution description, but they don't understand the problem. And it's my job to write it down, unpack it, understand it, and then deal with it appropriately. And for the 89 of those 90, dealing with it appropriately is something we're going to do in a second, right? So so this is really important because there's this impedance mismatch. There's this challenge where every single person who has something that they need and want and they're all really reasonable, uh, believes that the asking for it leads to the doing of it, right? I need it, therefore it must be easy and possible, so why can't you just because we're agile, right? We can just slip it into this sprint, whatever, right? No big deal. So, so this is the sort of essential moment on the product management side where we know as product managers that we're really dealing in the politics of hunger. Which is your, your, my engineering team will never be big enough, ever, ever. No, anybody have an engineering team that's big enough to do all the things they want to do? Okay, no engineering team on the planet will ever be big enough to do all of even the reasonable, smart. Good things, and we'll, we'll show you why in a second. Um, Yet, the requests come in a very honest and honorable way and we have to honor the people who bring them to us while giving them the bad news, right? Okay, so let's keep going. Um, So let's talk about what the engineering team does. Actually, let me back off a sec, uh, useful distinction. I'm going to not talk about companies that are in the professional service or custom software business. I'm only gonna talk about product companies who make money by selling the same piece of software to a large number of customers. And that's important because if you're at a custom software or or, um, development shop, you don't have product managers. You have account managers and project managers and you build the things that your customers individually ask you to do. And you better price it so that you make money on every single deal. Because what you're doing is you're marking up the time and energy and smarts of your team. And you don't expect to sell that more than once. So in the professional services model, we don't need product managers. We need purchase orders. And what we really love are change orders, cuz that's how we mark it up and make more money. Um, So I'm gonna specifically talk about folks in the volume or repeatable product side of the software world, where I've gotta sell things to a large number of customers. I've gotta keep them from churning. Right? I don't make it all on the backs of one customer. So I can price my products low, because it's nearly 100% margin to get the next one. And once I pass break even, it's all money, right? It's all margin. So when I think about the investment portfolio for an engineering team that's building my SaaS product, for instance, right? I don't care what we're doing, story points or engineer weeks or whatever you like, um, I generally expect to carve this up into about four pieces, right? And the first one, This is the stuff that customers actually ask for, and that we put on our marketing brochures. And that you know press releases and hot kinds of stuff. These are all the things that people can see, right? The must sell, must do's, this is where the external innovation appears, right? Stuff that everybody's excited about. Um, If we do only that, of course, we're out of business. So let's look at the next few slices, right? The next one is, of course, all the illities, right, we've got to have scalability and we've got to have security and we've got to have all of the things in the back, which by the way, no customer calls you up, no enterprise customer calls you up and says, I'll pay you extra to make sure your systems don't fall over when I add more volume, right, thank you. Um, But if we don't do those things, um, then it's another good life learning and character building experience and close the doors and move on, right? So uh, hard to know, maybe 20%, right, if we're not spending money on illities and stuff, then our systems fall over and we're out of business, right? Next one, um, I'm gonna put a bunch of other things, test automation. By the way, anybody who's doing manual testing, I think you're wasting all your money, right? We should be talking about test automation, Um, bugs, DevOps. There's a bunch of things you have to do to keep your software shop running Um, and without which of course customers stop paying you money. But again, uh, with the exception of the folks who pick up the red phone and call your CEO and complain about a particular bug. Customers don't pay you extra money to keep your code working and and in good health, right? Um, There's actually a a, a well-known syndrome here where we decide that just for this one month or just for this quarter, we're gonna steal all of the cycles from bugs and DevOps and test automation and put them into features. But next month, I promise that we won't do that again, right? It's, It's identical to the problem of, Joining a gym, but not going until next week. Right? <laughs> Good. And then the last slice here, really important, and and uh, you know Jared was talking about it some a little bit. Um, there's actually time you have to spend doing innovation and validation and customer interviews and figuring out what the f is happening in your market. Right? And that's work you actually have to schedule. So that's product management and design and some architects and going out in the field and. Test driving and kicking a bunch of stuff, regardless of, you know, whatever model you're taking, lean customer development, or you know, choose choose your methodology. But if we don't allocate time and energy for the smart folks in our group, this doesn't get done. Really important. And and we'll come back a little later to the why aren't we more innovative question, right? But if we don't, um, anybody been through a, a half day innovation? Event where everybody comes in and writes things on post-it notes and puts them on the wall. Okay, right? We call it innovation theater, right? Um, It doesn't lead to much, it leads to a wall full of post-it notes. After those post-it notes come down, there's actually some folks who have to sort them, think about them, figure out which ones make sense, interview customers, do a business model, right? architecture work. There's gray work to do here if we expect to bring out cool new stuff a few quarters from now or next year, right? So this is our, this is our investment pie, right? Um, by the way, there's a separate set of stakeholders for each slice, okay? So there's lobbyists on each side. On the dark blue side for features, certainly marketing, sales in general, right? We need new stuff. Uh, what are we gonna talk about next release, right? There's lots of pressure from all kinds of outside folks to build in more features, whether we call it a feature factory or not, right? But, you know, who's the? Who's the lobbying group for the Red Slice? Tends to be your engineering organization, right? Um, I I was in Greece for the last few weeks and one of the things I love about um, the ancient Greek mythology is is how smart they were. Um, Cassandra, anybody know about Cassandra? So she was the daughter of Priam, the king of Troy, and she was cursed by the gods to always predict the future correctly and to have no one believe her. So she's the one who famously said, I don't know how to say it in Greek, don't wheel that wooden horse into the city, it's full of Greek soldiers. And everybody said, "Oh, come on, you're you're making this up, right? Um, Your engineering team is spending a lot of its time playing Cassandra here saying, if we don't get the scalability right, and we got this AWS thing, and who knows, we could lose 12,000 users worth of designs, right? (laughs) Um, Thanks, Peldi, Um, right? And they're right, okay? But of course, we can't give the whole pie over to red, right? If it's a whole red pie, we're out of business in about three quarters, because we got nothing that the, that the customers want, right? And the support team that takes all these calls from customers, right? Um, Jared was leading us through all of those login issues, right? So they're getting hundreds and thousands of calls, if we're lucky, from people who can't log in. And they are all over me to put those things at the top of the list. Right? Um, and given their druthers, they would take the whole pie and, and color it light blue, right? So we know, th- and, and uh, honestly, it's hard to find the folks who lobby for innovation. Cuz we talk about it as a theory, but in a lot of companies, we, we don't ever remember to support it. But what's, what's important here is that we have different constituents and stakeholders who each want 100% of the pie. Well, that's not true, they want 150% of the pie. Um, one other helpful thing, because I use pie charts a lot with execs, including myself, so there's a really cool feature of pie charts. Everybody know? Um, if you make one slice bigger, you must make another slice smaller, okay? This, this is all about the exclusive OR concept of we can't do more of everything all at once right now. Um, so there's, there's a constituent for each of these groups, right? And the product management team, which is trying to have a long-term view of this product and let it grow up to be big and strong, right? If it's going to play at Carnegie Hall in seven or eight releases, we've got to drive it to a lot of music lessons, right? Um, My team and I have to figure out how to balance these in some useful way so we don't lose the market. But we also don't poison the product and have something really limp and terrible that falls over, right? So there's a trade-off here and it's hard to find anybody else in the company who has a holistic view Uh, that isn't lobbying on one side or the other, right, really important. So, so I'm always trying to coach my product managers to think about the long term health of the product and the long term joy of the customers and not just this quarter stuff because otherwise we're joining the gym and not going, right? We good? All right, let's keep going. Um, For those, uh, I'm not sure anybody's old enough besides me, but um, for, for those who Leonard Nimoy was their hero when they first grew up and wrote code in the early 80s. Um, uh, this is maybe the most important thing I'm always trying to emphasize with my team, which is if we're in the software business, if we're not in the custom business, but in the repeatable, we can sell it to lots of folks and make money on each one business, we must, 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 must sort and choose our features that are gonna go on to the feature half of this, such that they benefit lots and lots of our customers. Right? We're going to fix the worst bugs that most people are reporting. We're going to put in the feature we think is going to drive the most upsell or reduce the churn the most. We're thinking about markets and segments and large groups of customers. We're not just thinking about one. We'll do the contrast in a minute, right? But everything about product management for a product software company is about f- making choices among our very, very few choices that are gonna benefit large portions of our customer audience. Some of you see where I'm going, but I'm not gonna get there quite yet, right? Okay, so, so here it is, there's my prime directive. You've got to serve the larger audience. Almost anything that you do that's just for one customer is a poor investment. Um, Remember, we're not charging as much for each copy of the product as it costs to build, right? So if we've got 1,000 customers, uh, and the first 300 got us to break even. The last 700 are a, are a complete margin, right? We're making money because we're selling the same bits to multiple customers. As soon as we pull a few really key members of our engineering team off of that to build this one thing that Deutsche Bank wants us to do, right? Which may be poorly thought out, but is gonna bring in $300,000. We are stealing from our own product fund. Good, let's keep going. So. Um, A bit of a vocabulary exercise, we'll make this a quiz, right? So um, when I'm sitting on the product management side and all these wonderful people come up and share their really terrific ideas with me. And I, um, uh, for those of you who speak a little Japanese, you know that the Japanese word hi doesn't mean, yes, I agree I'm gonna put your thing in the plan. (laughs) It means, yes, I heard you, (laughs) right? So so some vocabulary, Um, if I say, If my team and I say it's on this quarter's roadmap, right? What we probably mean, more or less, is you got about a 90% chance of getting it, right? And when we say it's on next quarter's roadmap, what we probably mean, roughly speaking, depending on the company, is you got about a 70% chance of getting it, right? Cuz stuff's gonna happen and we're gonna see in a minute the stuff that happens, right? Okay, so let's get some other phrases that you guys might know. Okay, this actually is better than it sounds cuz uh, I, I try to coach my folks not to lie directly to anybody, you know? um, so we are in fact looking at it. But given what, all the things that we didn't finish this quarter, which are really high priority, and the likelihood of how it's gonna go next quarter cuz I don't know if you know this, but all software people are optimists, okay? I, I bet we could finish that this weekend, no problem, I'll just knock it out. So I don't know what that's worth, how about this one? Right. <laughs> Thank you. Let me put that in the backlog where it belongs. By the way, the backlog is, it's like 850 items long. But for you, I'm gonna slide it in at position 612. <laughs> Don't wait. Okay, um, that's a really good idea. Let's look into that, okay? Um, and my favorite one, right? Um, <laughs> it's important that I, Appreciate and value and honor the folks who bring these, anybody has outdoor cats who occasionally bring you a fraction of a bird that they found. And they leave it on your pillow because they love you. (laughs) Cuz they're cats, right? You can't get mad at them. You could decide to keep them inside, that's a different issue, right? Okay, but what's important here is that we're dealing with the Politics and economics of hunger, which is there are one or two orders of magnitude more requests than we can ever, 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 ever do. Yet everyone who comes to us has the impression that if they tell us a good story and they make a good case, we'll somehow find, right? I I actually have a development team hiding in my pocket, right? Which I'll take out just for you because you convinced me, right? That, That this is about persuasion rather than raw economics. Okay, let's keep going. So um, when I draw a roadmap, I always try to put a little graphic flavor into it. Notice that the thing on your left, it's on your left, okay. Thing on your left is obviously gonna happen. Here's our 90% box, right? Whatever it is, it doesn't actually matter what's in it, right? Um, dark shaded, heavy bordered, right? We're pretty sure it's an enterprise company, we know what we're doing. We're really good at building stuff. We hope, right? Next quarter, a little lighter shading, notice the, the the boxes a little less, right? As we go across, if you don't notice that there's less certainty as you go across this thing, then you're really not paying attention, right? By the way, all of your enterprise customers understand this, no matter how we print the roadmaps, no matter what your sales team says, they all understand that the future is uncertain, and the further you go out, it's more uncertain. Um, I usually change my timelines too, so there's a quarter and then there's a half and then there's a year and then there's a century, right? So um, <laughs> if, if we fool ourselves into thinking that our roadmap has veracity, that it's true, that it that predicts the future well, we're lying to ourselves. And by the way, we're also lying to our customers and they're pretty smart. Okay, um, so, so here's a different picture of a roadmap, which is the one I usually think of, right? Um, Every roadmap I've ever worked on has a few features. One is that there's no white space, I'm gonna say this about eight more times because none of you believe it, okay? We've allocated or we've assigned as much as we can possibly do, and then because we're embarrassed at how much we didn't get in, we put a couple more things in, right? So every roadmap's like 103 and a half percent full, right? There's a lot of pressure to overload it because everybody needs things. Legitimate important things. Right, there's never enough. And because our teams are almost always optimistic in the way we size and the way we plan, um, just doing this is already a little bit on the high risk side. Right, so, so the 70% for next quarter is, is probably about right. And of course, it's the Jenga thing because when somebody tells us something's late and we pull one piece out. Right? this is the unstable roadmap that we have. And, and I think almost every size software company regardless of audience. Right? Has anybody, anybody been at this place? Okay, so uh, but I'm specifically thinking about enterprise because we haven't really talked about the one group at an enterprise software company that's different from, say, a consumer company, right? So if you're building Fitbits, right, you're going to sell 10 million of them at $35 or whatever the price is, and there's no one Fitbit buyer who is so important that when they call your CEO, anything happens, right? Because it's a large number of small buyers who are identical. When you get to the SMB market, it's still pretty much the same. You're selling accounting packages for 100 bucks a month, or whatever, or something for $350 a month. That's really not enough money that any one customer can tip the balance. Enterprise, different story. So let's let's repaint this, and let's put the other players in. Uh, Because this is how it gets complicated, right? So, by the way, every enterprise customer, I don't know if you know this, every enterprise customer wants at least one thing that's not actually in your product today, they all have a list, just ask them, right? Um, No product's a perfect fit, and so the roadmap, remember the roadmap we just published, is the starting point for negotiations. Okay, so every enterprise customer looks at your roadmap and says, okay, got that, got that, got that. I know you promised it for next quarter, for two quarters away, for three quarters away. And, cuz and's the important word, here's what else I need, right? That's the square peg, right? And all of these requests sound reasonable. Many, perhaps most aren't well thought out, or they're not smartly architected, or the customers don't really understand our technology, or whatever. But every single enterprise customer has a short list. Probably no more than 50 or 60 things, right? A short list of stuff that they bring to their enterprise sales team and say, would love to sign this really big purchase order. Can you just, right? I bet it's only, right? So so that's important. And even more important is we have an enterprise sales team. And this is what's different between consumer companies and enterprise companies is they have an enterprise sales team. So we need a picture, right? Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Uh, each sales team, they're gonna strongly advocate for their customers. That's a key phrase, I'm gonna translate it in a sec, cuz here's our enterprise sales rep, do we all know this movie? Okay, I I actually take this six minute clip of Alec Baldwin's brilliant, brilliant performance from Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, and I show it to my engineering teams, cuz they don't believe it otherwise, right? You know, Um, always be closing, always be closing, right? This is where the coffee is for closers phrase comes from. Right, first prize is a Cadillac, second prize, set of steak knives, third prize, you're fired, you're fired right? So, um, uh, so in, in the sort of Myers-Briggs world, and, and thanks Mikey for, for starting us on, on, on personality tests yesterday. Um, I have these sort of disbelieving discussions with my engineering teams where they say things to me like. Nobody would be crazy enough to take a job where they don't know how much money they're gonna na- make this quarter and they don't know how much money is in each paycheck. <laughs> well, we call those folks salespeople, and by the way, they make twice what you make if they hit their <laughs> number, right? <laughs> um, the, the, the lack of belief and understanding across this huge gulf between the introverted, uh, nonverbal but slack using, you know, team oriented, deeply intellectual folks, who believe that each word means exactly what it means. And our sales team, which we're going to describe in a sec, is vast, right? By the way, uh, let me just say, I love my sales teams. They do something I can't do. Um, I've tried and that's one of those life learning stories that we'll get back to another time. Um, They do something that's really hard in a different way than building software is hard and both sides don't appreciate the other and both sides think the other is easy. And they have very poor communications. Um, So let's talk about what we hire and promote and reward our salespeople for doing and being, right? What kind of salespeople do we want in the enterprise, right? Um, We hire, train, reward, promote them for persistence, right? It's not selling until the prospect has said no at least three times, right? Um, Optimism. You'd, you'd be crazy to go into sales if you didn't think you were going to beat your number again this quarter, right? Often we give them a single account, which means it's live or die, one or zero, right? Hero or goat, you either go to club in, Fiji and whatever it is, and I don't know about the drinking and the sleeping around because I'm never invited. But um, you either go or you fail, right? Third prize, you're fired. Um, They're tremendously persuasive and they're really good at taking whatever silly features and benefits we put together on the product side and turning them in a way that is really appealing to that particular account. And plays to what those folks want, right? Um, And maybe most importantly, because when you call on somebody who's not excited about your product, one of the things we Train and reward and promote and send our, our sales reps to club in Hawaii for is to figure out who in the organization can say yes right it 's the boss of the person you were calling on or it 's one up and one over you know how do we find champions inside to get us to yes because a lot of selling is about persuasion right it 's not i mean it 's not so much about the features and the, and the functions and, and the benefits it 's about getting them to yes and so we pay them and reward them around the idea that being persuasive is important, right? And then, uh, I'll tell you something shocking, all right? So when that sales rep comes to somebody on my product management team and says, "Oh, by the way, um, we have a huge deal with General Motors. And we just need to do this one little thing, uh, teleportation, right? (laughs) And we need it by Friday, Um, right? And my product manager says something between no, hell no, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. Right? My product managers all think that that's the end of the discussion. Right? We're done. They said no. Shockingly, our sales team takes all of the same skills that they apply to prospects and customers, and they look around the organization to figure out who they're gonna escalate this to to get the yes they need so they can close the deal. Right? And they come to me, and they get a politer version of that, and then they, they go up the chain, right? so. If you don't know that this is the pattern, then you're not paying attention, right? Um, by the way, if, if you're a very young enterprise company and only have three customers, this is a, absolutely the right thing. We, we have to do whatever we must do to close those first three or six or eight customers or our venture backers close the doors and take away our Aeron chairs and we have to like, get another job, right? Um, but what's, what's most But this doesn't scale doesn't work in volume, and so here's what I observe, right? We pay our enterprise salespeople to subvert the product plan, right? Because remember, every customer wants something that's not in the plan, and we pay these folks a tremendous amount of money and reward them and make them feel really smart and let them ring the bell and all this stuff. um, To get what the customer says they want, which means the escalations are pretty constant from each team, right? And so, so this is a problem of aggregation. This is a problem of summing it all up and not seeing the pattern, right? we ready to keep going? Okay, so um, it's not about the big lie. I'm going to call it internal salesmanship, okay? Those may be synonyms depending on where you sit. But um, I'm always listening for these words, just, only, and every. Do we know the sentences that these come with? Let's try. If product just understood how important this deal was, right? This is all about the fact that from the sales side, you think this is a persuasion issue, you think this is a, um, a relationship thing. If, if the sales team talks to me about my daughter and the sports I follow and the kind of cooking I like, right, or takes me out to drink, somehow that extra engineering team is going to appear out of my pocket, right? That persuasion is the thing we're lacking, relationship is the thing we're lacking, when on the other side, it's honestly just bits, bites, and people, right? So um, I'm listening for the just, I'm listening for the every, right? So remember, my enterprise teams call on one or maybe two customers. But they're the only ones they meet. And so y- you can be charitable and say that they're just narrowly focused, that's all the data they have. Or you can say they're being persuasive, doesn't matter to me. But every enterprise salesperson who comes to me will tell me the story that every customer needs this thing, right? So I've got to train my folks to listen to that. And then the word only, right? This is my favorite, only, right? How hard could it be? It's probably only 10 lines of code, right? Uh, You guys aren't on the camera, so if you're a CEO and you've said these words in the last month, raise your hand, right? Or thought them, right? It turns out, most of these things are hard, right? Most of these things are hard. Um, The other thing I I train my folks, I, I coach them on is, when someone says this to me, there's a thing you're supposed to do right? You're supposed to take your keyboard, turn it around, give them the keyboard, <laughs> and invite them to write the ten lines of code, okay? Because it turns out it's not that easy, right? And the last one, right? We wish product and development were more responsive, right? We put in a ticket, we put in a request, and we didn't hear anything back, right? As if hearing back was going to get me what I wanted, right? By the way, so then we, militate a bunch of things, and we say all product managers must give a status report on all requests once a month, all of which say, it's in the backlog. Don't hold your breath, right? Um, this is a sense that the human interaction is what we're missing. If you guys were just paying more attention, you could get all the things I wanted done. In sum, in, in, you know, when we integrate over the whole problem, of course, it's impossible. But each individual person sees this as an affront. They see it as a personal issue. Because if they were just a little more convincing, this would all work, right? Okay, but remember, our salespeople know something and and have a skill that our engineers and product managers don't have, right? Which is, they know how to escalate to the CEO, right? So that's why we're all here. Let's keep going. All right, so let's draw the picture again. Here's, Here's our pie chart, remember the pie chart? Okay, so now the team that's calling on um, ANZ Bank in Sydney has this really big deal by the tail, or maybe they don't, right? And it needs this one little thing, which isn't gonna be easy. And uh, the product management team is is a stone wall. So they go up the chain and it ends up on the CEO's desk and I have to tell you, the the last turn I took as a CEO, I forgot everything I was training all the other CEOs. And I did this very thing, which is I walked down to my team and I used words like just and only, and I said, hey, it can't be that big, right? This is a really important deal, it's strategic. Anybody know what a strategic deal is? (laughs) Um, It's all the ones that aren't gonna make money this quarter, right? Um, and, And we're gonna slice it in, we're just gonna put this one thing in, right? So you ready? So here it is. Here's the one thing, right? It's green because it's money this quarter. And notice that, the, that what I displaced was half of all the time we spend on research and validation and innovation and figuring out what's next. Because everything else has been promised and it's underway and it's in the engineering cycle. And also this request turned out not to be very well formatted or thought through, and so we've got to pull our architect and our product manager and our designer and figure out what the heck we're going to do. Because it was a post-it note that said, you know, uh, support three-factor authentication. Right? <laughs> Whatever. Right? Uh, don't know, right? So we're gonna pull people off of the forward-looking stuff to work out what this is, and if it's small, it's small, right? Of course, it's generally a little bigger than we thought. So I'm gonna draw it again. Here's the real impact of that one deal. Notice we put in a validation and innovation all the way at the side with no little slice, all gone, sorry. Um, but we can get this one thing done, right? Okay, we're, st- we're still alive, it's early in the quarter. The, the problem we have, and it's an organizational and reward problem, is that the sales rep who got this is about to do something really important, which is take the rest of the sales team out for drinks. <laughs> based on this huge commission that's about to arrive, and explain to them all how escalating to the CEO got her or him the thing they needed, okay? We've now institutionalized how we get things done, right? Gulp, and it's still only week three of the quarter, okay? So let's, let's draw later in the quarter, okay? So here's the cumulative impact, and, and I do this as an experiment, by the way. So I sit down, I, I, I work with a lot of teams, product management teams, and I have them go back and look at the last two quarters and score how many things that they finished were actually in the roadmap at the beginning of those quarters, and how many things they finished arrived from outer space in the middle of the quarter. And often I see 20 and 30 and 40% of all the engineering cycles uh, devoted to things that didn't actually turn out to close deals, right? So I was conservative here, I think that's about 30%. Notice that we stole from quality in DevOps, and we stole from our illities, and we stole from our features, our planned features, and now we're gonna have this meeting at the end of the quarter where somebody on the engineering side and somebody on the product side are gonna have to stand up and say, we didn't get all the things done that were in our roadmap, right? And, and honestly, we don't know how it happened because we missed all the little transactions, right? So this is this is how we steal from the present and the future, one little slice of time. But that's how um, teenage boys eat whole fruit pies, by the way. They take one little slice and they put it back in the fridge and they come back an hour later and they take one little slice and by tomorrow it's all gone, right? It's hard to see the pattern as we go. Okay, let's keep going. So I don't know if you can tell, that's pixie dust, okay? Silicon Valley is full of it. We use it whenever we're pitching our venture capitalists on how big this unicorn's gonna be, right? Unfortunately, I ain't got none, right? So so when we peel back the sort of bare facts, I'm sorry ma'am kind of stuff, what we see is that there's no hidden capacity in engineering. We promised it all, and that we're operating on the exclusive or principle, which says if you're gonna put something in the roadmap that's new, we have to take something out of equal or larger size, right? Cuz remember, there was no white space, even though nobody believes it, right? We, on the product side, tried to pick a set of features that were going to appeal to our larger market. And so whatever we take out is going to touch a lot of customers. So in general, when we give up the one feature for the one customer, we're going to lose something, right? And and traditionally, product managers have been completely tone deaf to the need to have political support at the executive level to counteract this, So we've all sat in our little cubes, you know, like Sheldon, doing, doing equations on the board, hoping that the math will be so obvious that when the executive team gets together and doesn't invite us in the room, they'll make really, really smart decisions and turn down what the sales team wants. Right? Doesn't happen so often. Okay, let's keep going. So what do we do? So, so something I did at uh, one of my more successful, less learning, Startups. Um, the VP of sales and I, uh, w- we went out to lunch every couple of weeks. We had a really good positive relationship. Uh, we agreed not to throw each other under the bus in the executive staff meetings, really tight, and, and what we set up was um, I offered up one engineer week of work every quarter for whatever he wanted, okay? Uh, it had a fit, right, that was the magic bullet. Um, and the only rules were that when his sales reps came to me and said I need, I want, I need, I want, it's a special deal, it's gonna be huge. I would say, go talk to Stuart because he has the magic bullet, right? If, if he thinks this is the most important thing and it fits in one week of engineering, we'll do it, right? He actually had the correct incentive cuz he was trying to maximize revenue for the company not revenue for himself on an individual account, right? And the other thing I did was, we actually had a token, right? So, so I found a, a spent shell cartridge and I gave that to him. And I said, this is your magic bullet. And when he asked for the thing, I insisted he give it to me and I would put it in my drawer. And this was important because four or five days later <laughs> when somebody else came to him and needed something, he said, oh, I'll use my magic bullet. And he reached into his desk, um, we had a way to measure the fact that it was gone. Right? Score keeping was really important. And it helped the sales leadership share in the pain and the decision making of what little pieces we're gonna give away for for the sales slice. Cuz, by the way, you can never get away with zero on that slice, okay? Every enterprise company is gonna have a few of these. What we have to do is we have to manage and control and track and meter because zero doesn't work. But 35% is end of job, go home. Right? So somehow there has to be this you know, high level executive conversation between the sales side and the product engineering side about how we're going to limit the overflow. Good, okay, so um, I think I got some, some takeaways coming up, right? That's our takeaway container for anybody who missed it, right? Um, so so here's, the, here's the takeaways. The first is, it's really important, my message here is you have to see the pattern. When we as executives think of these as individual one-off items that don't add up to anything and we just say yes, right? By the way, the way we say yes is it's now out of mind, right? So that deal's closed. Engineering hasn't built this thing yet, right? They haven't sized it yet. But from the CEO chair, I can take it off of my mental plate because it's dealt with and done and I can put it in the revenue column. And the impact isn't obvious, right? It's even more not obvious the second and third and fifth times I do it and 12th times and so it falls on the product team to keep score here and to come back to the executive group all the time and say, here's the sum, here's the add up, here's the overall impact. Is this really what you wanted, right? Because it's not about inattention, it's not about bad behavior, it's not about not wanting to talk sports and wanting to be on slack, right? Doesn't matter where you are on the Myers-Briggs chart, we don't have enough engineering to do all the things we want to do. And we made choices that you don't like. Sorry, there you go, right? So um, you've got to see it for what it is, which is a pattern. The second one is, um, what I see when we do a little of this, the first thing these one-off special deals do is they consume all of our time that was set aside for innovation, right? Which, if you remember back to our original two CEO questions, one of was why are we not innovative enough? And follow whatever pattern you want, but when we steal all of the cycles and the people to do the, your teleportation impl- implementation, or your you know, special connector to SAP, that's where we steal from first. And then we tend to steal from quality and infrastructure and testability. And then we tend to steal from the illities and the features, um, but they all cost. Right? There's, there's no free lunch here, right? The third one, um, so I'm always trying to push for us to track the aggregate input the aggregate effect of the collected set of sales special requests. Cuz each one individually looks honestly pretty smart and the sales teams are very persuasive. I love them for being very persuasive most days except when they get their way, right? Um, So we have to look at this as a group, right? The fourth one is we have gotta share the trade offs with the sales leadership. It can't be a name calling, I think you're stupid, right? My hands are bigger than yours thing. Um, It's gotta be, we're doing this together at the executive level. This is is not about bits, bytes, and roadmaps. This is about executive teams that get along and figure out how to support the business. Um, I often describe what I do as marriage counseling, um, but maybe less satisfying, right? And then the last one is, we're stuck here because of course in the enterprise business there's gonna be lots of add-on stuff. And so we should, as product and engineering folks, try to engineer our products. So we can give away or partner up on all the stuff we don't want to do ourselves. If there's going to be a lot of database connectors, let's either find a partner with database connectors, let's find a company that does custom building of database connectors. And let's give them that part of the deal. Um, I always see uh, companies put a really, really small professional services team together here which gets a little bigger, cuz each deal needs some more and gets a little bigger. And then we borrow some from engineering. Um, When your professional service team gets above about 15%, it all goes to hell in a handbasket, right? So so we've got to architect our products knowing that we're in the enterprise space, and that we're gonna get all this stuff. And we've got to find non-like-minded partners who can pick up contract and custom development work to finish what the customers really wanted. We good? Okay, so I'm gonna close this with, here's me, Um, anybody who wants a copy of my really, really old product management book, drop me a LinkedIn. Um, What you'll see is that my last name is my domain name, which is only possible because um, the 26 or 27 million people in the former Soviet states with my last name um, didn't get on the internet yet when I bought my domain (laughs) in 1993. So, so there we go. But, but let me, you know, that's how to find me. There's 17 years of blog posts on my website. Uh, They're all free. Help yourself. But let's come back to this and take some time for questions. Good.
2: Let's go with Ray. Sitting in the CEO's chair, one of the things I hear a lot uh, from, you know, uh, as, as think about investment, is the cheapest source of capital is revenue. Yes, and what you're describing right now sounds like sounds very familiar to me, but also sounds like madness because the salespeople are coming in and saying, "Here's how we can get extra revenue." Right. The software people, the, the product people, are saying, "No, no, no! This is ruining my roadmap." Yes. Uh, for potential future business, when in fact there's an opportunity to get short-term. So, talent. so
1: let me rephrase it, yeah. which is, I bet the number one thing that the engineering and product team wants to build is something that's, let's say, going to reduce customer churn by four percent. Okay? And that's gonna represent among your 1,000 customers, you know, 40 customers who are gonna renew, mm-hmm. right? And when we multiply the cost of your product, that's gonna be a lot of money. Right. Right? Um, and if we don't do that, bad things are gonna happen, right? Um, the deal that comes in that has a bunch of special work on it, um, you're actually gonna pull engineers who aren't, uh, the deal doesn't pay for itself, okay? Even if it's $600,000, um, you're gonna spend 100000 in engineering, but you're gonna give up all of the benefit to your overall customer base. So sometimes we do this, sometimes we must do this, but in general it's poison. It's, it's crack cocaine because after we do it once, we want to do it again. And what we end up doing is we consume our engineering team with all of these one-off items, and next quarter we got nothing, right? We've got no new features, we've got no innovation, and, and the competitors are chasing us. Uh, But what we've done is a connector for Deutsche Bank and a special three factor authentication for uh, General Motors, which are not of general use and we're in position 840 in the backlog. So if you're in a professional services model and you can charge 3x or 5x and you can hire more people to do the work then it's a perfectly sensible thing to do. But when you're stealing your chief architect and the folks who are gonna keep your systems running to do something that's only for one customer, I, I, the economics of it, in my view, don't ever pay, they rarely pay out. And and as the CEO, if you are trading your mortgaging next quarter, you better do that very, very wisely. Because if you do a couple or three of them, it's a st- steaming heap of bits on the floor.
2: Fair enough, if I could just quickly follow up, Mark. The, um what, what you've been describing, what you're just describing is basically robbing engineering, basically robbing engineering cost of product development to essentially subsidize cost to customer acquisition. Correct. Why not have engineering expense in the cost of co- acquisition? Why not it, have- it's
1: not, a, it's not a financial issue, it's, it's not a costing issue, it's a staffing issue, okay? okay? So if you had 100 extra folks sitting around with nothing to do, and this was a fit for their talents, whatever that was, then that would make perfect sense. But what you're doing is, it, you you can't use the money to replace the folks who you, who you spent on this. Because they're very special, they're the only ones who know your product. Um, you could go hire a bunch of other folks, but we know that when you hire folks late in the cycle, it gets later, not sooner, right? Um, and as you build up your team, you're, you're gonna be faced with the same trade-off over and over again because the first time it makes sense, and the second time it feels like it makes sense, and the fourth time it's all gone. So, so the, the key thing as the CEO is for you to count your tokens and ask about sizing and see how disruptive it's gonna be and ask the else question. If we do this, what are we not going to get and really cost the features we're going to give up, which went at the top of the list and you approved it at the beginning of the quarter, because it was going to really drive revenue, right? So the idea that we're not giving up revenue by taking something out of the plan is a fallacy, right? So you have to ask, what's the least feature we're going to lose, and what was it worth, and who's going to call you on the phone and complain because they saw the roadmap and we promised it to them, right? That's why CEOs have a really, really hard job.
2: Thank you so much. Sure, good. Uh, Okay, I'm going to come over there in a minute, but uh, Keith? Oh, sorry. Oh, got a mic here. Go. You got it.
0: Uh, Hi there, Rich. Uh, Thanks for the interesting uh, lecture about building an effective roadmap. Um, If you don't mind, I'd like to ask you about something different entirely. (laughs) Okay. Feel free free Um, to to do the question. It's not not entirely different. But uh, to go back to Greek mythology, and there are a lot of lessons, I think, from Greek mythology, but uh, you can argue that Midas... Had a well-executed roadmap uh, to turn whatever he touched into gold. Can you talk about the destination at the end of the roadmap and how you uh, can begin to understand that your your roadmap's taking you to the place you want to go, or, or that that you're picking the right destination for uh, your roadmap to bring you to?
1: So, so I skipped the whole question of whether the right things are on the roadmap. Right, and I'm assuming here that we have a destination, we understand our market, we're building the right things, we've got market intelligence, we're doing great discovery. Um, I skipped that step because that wasn't the problem that we were unpacking here. Fair enough. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to do. And um, uh, just the last thought on the Greeks is uh, the the Greek heroes, the story ended really badly for every one of those heroes. So when we think about going to the office and being heroic, let's be careful what we wish for. Good, who's next? Thanks. Uh, Keith. Hi. Uh, um, so thanks for the talk. It's really great. Um, I've got a quick question about organizations going through a change, growing organizations, starting off small. And you touched on your, on your talk, how obviously the received wisdom is at the beginning you've got to MVP and then iterate purely, purely in terms of what those customers want. I, I, I don't agree. Oh, okay. So, so I think, and, and, and let me get off on, on another rant here before I run out of time, but um, I think the whole MVP concept is flawed. Uh, the P doesn't stand for product. The things we build are prototypes and sketches, right? In the enterprise space, if you ship a product that doesn't do the things the customer needs in a whole way, they fire you, right? So in the enterprise space, you do a lot of experiments, but you have to ship sufficiently robust products that they, for instance, don't have security holes in them. Right, not okay, um, more, but more back to your point. Um, the first three or four or five or six deals you do as an enterprise company, uh, you do exactly what I didn't recommend, right? You build exactly what the customers want and you hope against hope that some of those pieces are reusable and renewable. Um, my experience is it's a pretty low percentage cuz they're all special cases. If you worked in healthcare, somebody taught me that um, when you've seen one hospital, you've seen one hospital. Okay, yeah. every one of them is a special case. So, so what you end up doing with uh, while you're trying to close customers six through 100 is unwind and pay down all the technical debt and silly architecture and one off crazy things that you did for those first five customers um, knowingly. Because you can't scale the company, you can't ever get enough support and installation and implementation folks to do custom work unless you're a custom software company. And then I don't care, because you're not my client.
2: Good. Wait, one, more, one more, I'm afraid. But, I mean, Rich is around, so grab him yeah. at lunch or breakfast tomorrow. We'll Good. Uh, okay, my question was, how many quarters did you do the Magic Bullet for? And what was the hardest thing about the Magic Bullet concept? Was it getting them to buy in at the beginning, or were there things that came up two, um, or three quarters in? We did that for, I don't
1: know, a year and a half. So that's six quarters. The hardest thing is that... Um, the sales organization is very poor at sizing things. And they're very good at minimizing the description of what they need. Cuz that's how we pay them, right? So we pay them and reward them to make it sound easy and small. Um, And then when you unpack it, it's not. Um, And it's not on them cuz they're not the, the architects and the technologists. But often we came back and said, well, that one week thing is actually seven centuries worth of a team of 900 and it doesn't qualify. Um, So that was really hard because um, it was hard.
0: Enjoy the Boss Podcast? We would love to hear from you. Send us a review via Apple Podcasts with a glowing five stars which will help us reach more people, share more ideas, and help expand the Boss community. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.